welcome to the Coon Hunting University podcast, where we'll discuss all things coon hounds, from competition hunting to pleasure hunting with family and friends. I'm your host, Alan Bridges, and we'll take an in-depth look at our hounds from the whelping box to the winter circle and all the stops in between. So grab your notebooks and your pencils because class is in session. All right, ladies and gentlemen, take two. I forgot to hit record the first time, and I let John tell about half his story before I told him that we had to start over, and he gave me the stink eye. But uh, anyway, I'm here with John Sedgenak, and John and I have been good friends for a long time, and we're at the Broad River Coon Hunters Association headquarters, and beside me on my right is a soybean field, and we're parked out here in the in the yard and behind the, the clubhouse is a chicken farm. And so we're right in the middle of Agriculture USA in Comer, Georgia. So, John, you've been doing this longer than I've been alive. So I'm just going to defer to your experience and let you tell your story about how you got started and where we've wound up and some of your methods that you've mastered along the way. Should I go now, Alan? Is it right this time? <laughs> My whole family is from the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. They're from a little town called Nesquahoning, which I guess the closest thing to it would be Hazleton, Pennsylvania. And uh, my daddy had hounds all his life. And um, back then, it was a depression area, and they more or less had meat hounds. He had a July hound named Earsy that was his favorite. And, it would run and get meat about anything you put it on. And I guess Daddy got 100% disabled in the Korean War and had to quit hunting and sort of lost touch with everything. But I reveled in the stories he'd tell about his bobcat hunts and fox hunting and, and stuff with his hounds. And, man, when I got older, I just wanted a hound in the worst way. And... I finally was old enough that Dad said, all right, you know, we'll get a hound if we can find one. And we started looking, and I had started getting American Cooner in the full cry, and I thought the blue tick hound was the most beautiful hound on the face of the earth, and I wanted one bad. I tried about 10 of them. Wanted one that was halfway trained because I was young and didn't know what I was doing. and. I just couldn't find one that did right, to put it politically correct, I guess. Well, most and, blue tick guys today understand where you're coming from, <laughs> and me included. A man had this walker hound for 150 bucks, and he said he'd run a tree coon. And back then, my age, I was 15, that's what I could afford. And I, I got the dog, and he ran fox real bad. I didn't run no deer, which in Pennsylvania, there's a deer behind every tree, but he ran fox, and I broke him off fox, and he was a wonderful hound. I made him a grand knight, not even knowing what I was doing with the rules and such, and uh, overbroke him on the fox. The dog started running him. I ain't going to tell you how I did it, but he'd be under the truck. You couldn't get him out. But <laughs> So I went from there, and... Then I started seeing the ads in the magazines for the night hunts. And I decided that 
man, I'd like to try that. And I remember the first one I was in was in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, October 10th, 1970. And Mr. Ronald Herman was the guiding judge and won fifth place and just had a wonderful time, good bunch of people. And I guess that's what got me started in competition hunting. And uh, just just enjoyed it immensely. It was back then. Everybody you went out with was a pleasure to be with. So awesome. Well, you started off in Pennsylvania. How did you wind up in Georgia? Well, I for thirty. Well, what was it? Thirty-eight years. I was a wildlife biologist for the federal government. Went to Colorado State and got a wildlife biology degree. And uh, when I got out of college, there was a job opened in fisheries, which I was at work for fisheries management. And a job came open to work on morning doves down here for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Georgia. And I applied, and luckily out of 140 applicants, I was picked for the position. That's how I got down here in Georgia. Okay. And I love it down here. Not nearly as much snow as it is in the Pocono Mountains, is it? Not nearly. <laughs> so with your work in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, that, that probably afforded you more opportunities to hunt uh, where, say, somebody like me may not have some of those opportunities to get. Well, yeah. I mean, I won't, I won't lie to you. Through my work and, and working on different farms and meeting people, I've got so many so many different places I can go hunting, just friends that I met through working on their land. And then even more so when I got on the board of directors of the National Tree and Walker Association, just meeting. I love to turkey hunt, and I got so many places to turkey hunt in so many different states, just meeting people on the board and other people in the association stuff. So, Well, what made you want to get on the, or at least run for the board for the Tree and Walker Association? Well, I didn't run for it. They sort of called me and, and wanted me to be on it. So okay. I said, yeah, I would take the position. So I, I didn't run for it. So how long have you been on the board? Four years, I think, three or four years. I've been on the Georgia Federation of Coon Hunters Board of Directors for three or four years. I just can't remember exactly. Because okay. I'm old. I'm old, Down Do you people listening out there? I was in the ACHA hunt when Carolina Casey wanted, if that tells you how old I am. <laughs> I don't even remember who Carolina Casey is. <laughs> but so through, you've had, you've had, I've never known you to own anything but a Walker Hound. And I've known that you have had other, other breeds of dogs, but you know, I can remember showing up to these uh, hunts here in Comer back when I first started and and you would be wearing a t-shirt or a hat that said friends don't let friends hunt blue ticks yeah and, i remember and, and i that. remember i was hunting a blue tick <laughs> so uh you know but i guess i guess with your work with the u.s fish and wildlife service you were able to and and having a degree in, in wildlife biology you're able to you know you've got places around where you live now where people just clamor to want to go coon hunt with you because you have you have a really good population of coon. 
I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have a bunch of private land that are friends of mine right here. I live out in the country like you do, Alan. A lot of friends of mine have big acreage, and I'm the only one they let coon hunt on it because of some bad things they've had happen with other people they let on their coon hunting. And I realize how fortunate I am, especially in this day and age when land holdings are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the type of dogs has changed a lot too. I mean, you could go out on a night hunt cast and you never heard anybody say, man, my dog likes to get deep and by himself. Well, that's bad now, because he's someone that's like that and I've got plenty of coons on my place and he's got to cross four property lines to get over somewhere to get by himself. It's a detriment to coon hunting around here. It's getting tougher and tougher. Yeah, because that guy calls my neighbor that lets me hunt and said, them dogs retrieved behind my house last night. Did y'all let them hunt? Then my neighbor calls me and said, John, it's all right if you go, but please don't take a cast anymore down there. My neighbors are complaining. Yeah. So, so that that's unfortunate. And, and I think eventually we're going to come back full circle to the type of dogs that we hunt. Uh, just from the standpoint of we're gonna either going to put them in a pen and hunt them or we're going to have to have them hunt a lot closer than than the deep and lonely and I'm, I'm a I'm a deep and lonely kind of guy but I also realize that that with land becoming smaller you're not going to be able to, to to hunt those kind of dogs and and keep permission to hunt on places that you don't own that's true. One thing, I mean, UKC has seen this coming. By It's a lot easier to get guides for a one-hour hunt and a 1.5-hour hunt than it is a two-hour hunt now. Exactly. You know, that helps a lot. You've hunted on my place several times, and we've never got off my little old track of land because of the number of coons, you know, and, and being one hour. Yep. You know, so that was a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you know, back when you started, they were three-hour hunts. They were three-hour hunts, and another thing I remember is it wasn't a hundred and a hundred and a quarter; it was a hundred and a hundred, and there was no babbling law back then. So, if you had a dog that struck off the leash, you had to get first tree just to keep up with him. Yep. And there were several I drew like that out of the state of Virginia. I won't mention any names, but that did that and man it was just tough to win yeah um that's exactly right i i'm <clears throat> a little bit different from from a lot of competition hunters i like one that's really tight mouthed uh, i tend to catch more game with those and i also make fewer mistakes yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> with what they're doing I'll be honest with you, and you know this, Alan, I'm more of a pleasure hunter, although I've been to the world finals with a dog that I owned or handled or something five times. But I'm more of a pleasure hunting, and I just love to hear that big ball locate and a big ball mouth track dog that can move an old track and then lock down, and I'll, I'll, I'll man, that's music to my ears. Yeah, I'm, yep. that, that, me too. Uh, but at the same time, when I'm competition hunting, I prefer one that that just kind of hushes and. Well, I understand. 
understand. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on, on the babbling dog thing. I can't stand it. I won't own one. Well, again, it, UKC has corrected that. You well, know. If, if you, they have, and if you can get the cast to go along with it. Well, that's true. But it's not like it was back then. No, you're right. When somebody would turn loose and yank the dog's ear, and when it, well, oh, 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 he'd strike his dog. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you've been um, involved with, you were talking about you've been to the World Hunt finals five times, either owning a dog or, or handling a dog. Which, which dogs were those, and can you tell me about them? Well, it'd be the sissy dog that me and another boy owned together, and she was a very, very nice hound, and um, super bad. I know you knew super bad. I think he was out of track, man. I don't pay much attention to papers. And the Faith female on uh, Valley Creek Faith, she was probably next to the lawman dog I owned. Faith was probably my, my favorite hound. Okay cold nose could move a track didn't run any junk and then you know there's a difference between when i first got into competition hunts back in early 70s and now too back then it was a bunch of people out to see who had the best dog and they didn't tolerate any trash running now a lot of these people hunt trash runners that switch over to a coon and don't care yeah. As long as they win the cast, they don't care. And to me, that's like going out and getting in a tree stand after you scouted a deer and killed a big old buck, or you went out and shined a bean field and killed one same size. Same thing, dead deer, but one was done the right way, one was done the wrong way. Absolutely. So. I agree with you there. So... You just said that Faith was probably your favorite. What uh, what made her that well, way? Well, Lawman. Or Lawman, Lawman okay. was probably my favorite. Tell oh, me I about just, Lawman. Both of them looked almost identical. Lawman was strictly 100% housebred. He was out of Little Joe, Max Little Joe, and all them dogs behind him, housebred dogs behind him. Both of them were identical. They um cold nose run a bad track as good as a dog could run a hot track lock up tree dogs didn't run any junk just what i look for in a hound so he was probably as close as you'll get to your ideal dog then yes he was yeah i got you so i guess it'd be three years ago now that uh oh no four years ago now that I got on the board at the Peach Classic, and you've been with it since its inception. Uh, you know, give our listeners a, a little bit of history of this hunt. Peach Classic started, what is this, number eight coming up? Eighth I think it's number nine. Ninth annual. It's, it's a great hunt, people should come. Everybody in the organization, North Georgia Houndsman, that puts it on makes an extreme effort to find the best guides possible. I had five people that are friends of mine 
help guide non-hunting guides last year, and I think all of them came in with over 600 points in their cast wins. Well, I think one of, one of them hunted Vince Dooley's farm, which he's the ex-Georgia Bulldog football coach down here. The other one went to Governor Kemp's land, and everybody went to a good place. I that, think Friday night we only used two hunting guides. Everybody else has had a non-hunting guide this past year. That's right. I think the high score, and this is in Georgia, folks, was over a thousand. It was 14, 12 and a half. I had to judge that one. I got you. And then it dropped down a little bit to like 900 and then 700, I think. Mm -hmm. but, um, we offer, I think what brings a lot of people to is not only the honesty of our event and the good hunting, but we award some really, really nice prizes to the winners. I had several people, the dog, cedar dog box we give away, say if they want it, it'd never see the back of a truck. It'd go in the house as a coffee table or something. Those are nice. Yeah. And those are, those are provided by one of our sponsors, GNR Cedar Dog Boxes. Uh, yeah. If you need a good cedar dog box, give Gavin a call. Yeah, and our, um, our bench show is well attended. We have people from far away as West Virginia. Um, usually have around 40 dogs a day in the show, anywhere from 30 to 40, both days. And some really quality animals. And again, we give away some really, really nice stuff outside of the monetary prizes, which can you remember how much? Yeah. The the monetary prizes were last year we gave away um, $1,500 to the overall champion and, and the top four, or the other three of the top four got $1,000 a piece. That's right. And the bench show was 500 That's I right. Think, if I remember correctly. so That's right. I, w I would hope people consider um, coming to this hunt. It's the second weekend in March. Yes. And, and it's right here in our town, Comer, Georgia. Well, we're going to give away this year, we're going to give away a little bit more money, but it's not going to be as as uh, flamboyant on the top four dogs as it was last year. Uh, we're going to give away, I think it's, we decided to do $750 for the top four, but we're going to give away money all the way out to 10th place for the overall hunt. I think the five through 10 are going to get $200 a piece. So, but we'll still have the cedar dog boxes, the lights, the boots, all the other stuff that uh, we've we've been giving away. Yeah, the, and the bench show people got show bench, wash cub for the dog, grooming table for the dogs, and I think there was something else I can't remember. We give away so much stuff. Cash, cash. Well, yeah. <laughs> But um, it's it started years ago and it has built up and built up. I realize that everybody's having problems this year because of the economy and everything else, gas prices. But I would hope some folks try to make this one if they attended anyone. So, yep. So, who who probably who would you call? I mean, we're gonna switch gears and change the topic a little bit. Who would be one of your biggest influences in in doing what you do? Or several of your influences. As far as what goes. Coon hunting. Oh, it'd definitely be the people that I, I drew out and cast when I was a kid. Um, Ronald Herman from Pennsylvania, just 
super nice guy and Russ Campbell that took me hunting for the first time and showed me the ins and outs of it and um, my dad who had hounds forever just a bunch of real good people Yoder Nylon has long been known for producing the highest quality briar proof material products on the market. Now they formed a partnership with Razor Hunting Gear to produce all Razor's new hunting products. Razor has a wide selection of products from competition belts, chest rigs, strap vests to hunting jackets. These products look as well as they perform. Razor Hunting Gear, designed by coon hunters for coon hunters. Razor Hunting Gear's newest products are now available for pre-order. You can find a link in the description box below. Okay. Pointed me in the right direction and said, well, no, that's wrong and no, this is right type thing. Mm-hmm. So, and if, if I would not know, if I probably might still not have a hound to this day if Mr. Campbell hadn't taken me coon hunting out for trout fishing that night. Well, tell me about that hunt if you can recollect it a little bit. Oh, I do. I, I can remember it was in, in August in the, in the cornfield. We turned loose in the edge of cornfield up there outside of Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania, and old Ike treed some coons up a big white oak on the edge of it. And like I say, a coon in Pennsylvania is a game animal now. There's a season. And I think a limit. I haven't hunted up there in so long. But back then, it, they were a varmint, and you could just shoot coons at will. And, and we shot one out that night. and Kind of like in Georgia now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a shame, but it is what it is because the coon population down here isn't what it was in Pennsylvania. Except I worked on quail in South Georgia on plantations around Albany, Georgia, down there, and then people would invite me down and bring my dogs down there coon hunting. They think thought they went to heaven. I mean, you could tr treat 12, 13 coons any night the only thing was mr john if you don't shoot them out don't bother to come back so it was the same way in some parts of pennsylvania where people had sweet corn patches i can remember treeing 28 coons one night now don't get me wrong that wasn't 28 different trees there'd be like five in this one and six in this one and a couple singles and like that they were everywhere and you could shoot them all out and come back, and the next year there'd be just as many. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Um, I wish we were blessed like that in in, in Georgia, but oh, we're, the, we're not. <laughs> on my property now, you know where I own and where I hunt. I haven't shot a coon off my farm in 10 years. Yeah, I'm, and I know what that does to a place. I had a place that I'd hunted for 30, and I'd until about five years ago i don't hunt it now because as a there's a new leaseholder but uh until about five or six years ago i hadn't shot a coon out on that place since 1996 and then when i started treeing seven or eight coons in a tree i decided it was time to do a little game management yeah well you know as you well know there were years here especially before UKC went to the cast wind thing from back in the day not too long ago when you had to have so many points in a first place win to be a night champion there was like 12 hunts in a row I brought in the high scoring dog off my place yeah 
Yeah. And I'm, you were either ahead of me or right behind me, you yeah. know, in that. And it's because we took care of our coons. And and now now I don't have that opportunity anymore. And I'm basically regulated hunting public land. <laughs> and it's been tough. <laughs> yeah, because on public land, you still cannot shoot them year round. There is actually a season on public land. That's it's right. from August yeah. 1st to February 28th. On the national forest and such. Or, or on, well, it depends on which national forest and it depends on which WMA. They all have their own rules, but the season starts on August the 1st where it used to start October the 15th. And, but you still have to, depending on the WMA that you go hunt, you got to abide by their rules. There's a WMA real close to here where we are that you can't hunt with dogs during a licensed firearm hunt. You can hunt during archery season for deer and you can hunt during muzzleloader season for deer. But when they open it up for general firearms, you can't take a dog in there in the daytime. And there are other tracks where you, you don't deer hunt uh, in other WMAs. So, uh, it, it's all it's all specific to the location now on public land. Mm -hmm. I've had to become somewhat of an expert on public land, so I can have somewhere yeah. to go. <laughs> For those that don't know, Alan hunts out of a boat a lot. We have a lot of big reservoirs down here, and Alan will take the dogs on the boat, and there's like a 100-yard buffer zone off of the lake where you can hunt. It's not on private property. It's core it's land or whatever. Feet. Hundred feet. Yeah. But you see a coon, you know they drop the dogs. Great for training pups, especially. Drop them off a hundred yards above where you see the coon on the edge of the lake and tree them. It's fun. It's real fun. It's real fun. I was, there's more land down there than I'll ever hunt, but it's a lot of it's really hard to get to. So since you retired. Have you been? Have Have you uh, stayed involved in the competitive hound sports? Oh, since I retired, it's wonderful. I mean, anybody that says that retirement is overrated isn't retired, because I can turn my dogs loose whenever I want to. If I can't sleep and want to turn them loose at two in the morning, I can do it and not have to worry about being a job the next day. It's given me the freedom to go to a lot of board of directors meetings and, and um, judge bench shows for people. As you know, I'm a UKC judge. I've, I've judged the Georgia State and the Pennsylvania State years ago and uh, North Carolina State and um, Lee Crawford at National Walker Days and stuff. It just gives me the opportunity to hunt more and to attend more events that maybe normally I wouldn't get to attend. When you were working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, did it help with you wanting to go hunting more or, or you know, did it did it limit you in some ways or, or? Well, I was a field biologist, so they would send me to Mississippi to work on ducks for three months. Well, you know, when I was doing that, I couldn't take my dogs with me. Okay. You know, so yeah, when I was working in the field, heck, for four years, I worked in, on endangered bats from West Virginia all the way over. Alabama's got caves, if people don't know it, in Alabama. Um, all the mountain regions in North Carolina, Virginia and such, and, and well, it's all at night. You know, I'd sit out there with a night vision scope and census bat populations 
in certain caves. I did 12, I think, in West Virginia. And well, watching bats all night long, you can't be coon hunting. That's so true. That, that limited that, you know, and just, it took away, you know, a lot. Cause I, I'm working on ducks in Mississippi. It wasn't like I'd come home every weekend. I'd be out there for three months working mm -hmm. on the ducks for Arkansas or whatever. So yeah, it curtailed me quite a bit. Okay. But don't get me wrong, I love my job. That's why I got into it. And I love being out in the woods every day. I couldn't stand being behind a desk. So. <laughs> I guess I'm jumping around now, but how long have you coon hunted? What, what, how many years would you say you've been a coon hunter? Well, I'm gonna be 70 next September. And I started, like I said, when I was 15, I think when Mr. Campbell, 14 or 15. So over 50 years. Oh yeah, yep. And again, things have changed just around us here, Alan, in this part of the country, suburbs have spread everywhere. And places that people like me and you and my friend Charles Hart, you know, we used to hunt 15, 20 years ago, there's subdivision there now. Yeah, I always tell folks that when I was in high school in the mid 90s or early 90s, um, I could go to my driveway and pull out a map and draw a circle five miles around the end of my driveway and I could go hunt every night for a month and turn loose three or four times a night and never turn loose in the same place twice. That's right. And if you went out 10 miles, I could probably hunt six months. That's right. And a, a situation too that not only do they put these subdivisions up and that takes up the land, but just them being there, if they're close to a place where you do have permission to hunt, you're scared to death of your dog getting over there and upsetting somebody, you know? And yeah, and, and you're there's... You're in the right, but just it's something you shouldn't have to put up with. Yeah. I will tell you, you had time on this thing for a funny story. Oh, yeah. We got all the time you want. We turned loose that sissy female I talked about over on Dr. Larry Marshington's land. He, famous deer guy from the University of Georgia. He let me coon hunt. And it was February and she ran a coon way down the Oconee River and treed behind this new guy's house. It just put up a house. Coons were rutting. Coon went a long way. Oh my goodness. Luckily, it was February and we were turning loose. It was like five or six. So it was only about 7.30 guy with me, what are we going to do? I can go knock on the door. And I can try to sneak in the guy's backyard. I went and I was just scared to death. He was going to be mad that the dog was barking. Knocked on the door, big, beautiful $250,000 house, which back then was a lot of money for a house. He came to the door and said, sir, I'm so sorry, but the dog has treed, my coon dog has treed behind your house. The coon ran from Dr. Marshall and said, can we please go get the dog? And his response to me was, well, hell, son, I don't want him barking out there all night or her out all night. Go get the dog. <laughs> Y'all want a cool drink? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. That it could have very easily went the other way. I've had them go both ways, yeah. and it's not fun.
that's the detriment of hunting with dogs. Once you turn that animal loose, you you really you might have an idea of where he's probably gonna go, but you don't know exactly where he's gonna wind up. Oh yeah, and to add more history to it, when I first started competition hunting, there was no garments. There was not even any beep beeps. You went somewhere like Autumn Oaks or somewhere far away from home, man, and you didn't hear your dog for a while, you didn't know where it was. Whether it was getting close to a highway or in somebody's yard or out there a ways, and then came the beep beeps, which that was a great relief. The Yagi antennas and the receiver sets, a great relief, because at least you knew where your dog was or what direction. And now, these garments that they have now that shows you the little dog on the screen and whether it's treed or running and how fast it's going and the line it took to get there, they're marvelous. Funny story about John is when we raffle off a Garmin when we're trying to sell tickets at some of these hunts, the first question is, did John Sedgenek buy any tickets? Yeah. The answer is, well, you know he did. Well, then I'm not interested because he wins them all. <laughs> How many of you won? I hardly, I hardly buy any tickets. I, I buy them to support the organizations. I'll buy maybe $30 worth of tickets, and I want four garments. <laughs> four garments. <laughs> Just lucky to draw, man. That's right. Well, we do a fundraiser every year for the Peach Classic, and with John being the treasurer of, of the board of directors there and of the of the North Georgia Houndsman Association. He's also a, a big a big time deer hunter. Um, but he's not one of the crazy deer hunters. Anyway, John buys a table at the Whitetail Unlimited Banquet at our local chapter every year. And they give him a deer rifle. Well John of the last three years, four years, he's raising his hand with a four. He has been gracious enough to donate that rifle to the North Georgia Houndsman Association, and we raise somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 to put, help put on this hunt every year. And so I'd like to say thank you to John for doing that. Um, he's always got the houndsman at the, at, in his thoughts and, and wanting to make uh, the event that we put on better every year than it was before. So, and you know, we can't do that without funds. And, and John has more than done his part of helping us raise that money. Well, you're welcome, buddy. Another funny story. We're Let ta it happen, Captain. talking about my luck. I went up and, uh, hey, David Garden and Jeff Robinson was the president and vice president of the North Carolina Coon Hunter Association. They asked me to judge the state championship bench show up there. And I went up there and they were raffling off a Henry Golden Boy rifle. John, help us out, buy some tickets. Sure, man, give me $30 worth. So I judge the show and we do all the paperwork. There's a funny story about divorce in there too but I better not tell that one but I fill out the paperwork and I'm trying to get home to Comer Georgia and Jeffrey comes running out John John I just knew I messed the paperwork up said what I do wrong he said nothing you want the rifle <laughs> <laughs> so I'm telling you this dude's got a horseshoe stuck up where the sun doesn't shine 
No, he's 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 worked extremely hard. He's uh, he's even got whitetails unlimited, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a shout out to those guys. They approached us, and and it's all because John being a member of their chapter, they've approached us with a grant, and they they supply the North Georgia Houndsman with a grant this year, and they have asked us to keep applying for the grant. Uh, to help children get involved in hunting. So that's that's part of our new mission with the uh, North Georgia Houndsman. I'll say this about Whitetails Unlimited too. If you join them and you get their magazine, go through the magazine, and there's a whole section, well, almost the whole magazine, isn't what the members did for them is what they did for the members. Every page is Whitetails Unlimited gave this much of the proceeds we made at our banquets to this archery, high school archery team, or this BB gun team, or this hunting organization. They take care of the, the, the hunting organizations around them. Very good thing to join. So, so John, you know, we, we discussed about the, the, the grant that that Whitetails Unlimited has, has uh, given us since we applied for it for, for getting youth involved. Tell us why that they would probably go somewhere to the North Georgia Houndsman Association when you know the the most of the deer hunters don't want a coon hunt coon hound anywhere on their place. Well let me attack that twofold. The first thing is that you ask some deer hunting club to coon hunt on their land, no, we don't want any coon hunters on here 15 years ago. But now, everybody putting out deer feeders and such, they'll come, John, can you come down here and coon hunt? There's 13 coons in the picture on our deer feeders. They're eating everything. So I was telling, fun, uh, let me interrupt you a little bit, a little funny story. I had a guy tell me, you know, I'm, I'm putting out corn for my deer, but but I, but all I see is coons on it, and then I have a coon hunter tell me I'm treeing coons in pine trees, and I tell the coon hunters, it's like, look, dude, there's more corn in a 10-acre patch of pine trees now than there is in a five-acre cornfield. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, we uh, we're striving our best. If people don't realize it, they should realize it that um, hunter numbers are diminishing quickly. And it seems like there's no replacement people. The kids seem like they just rather sit and press buttons with their thumb in front of a TV set instead of playing video games, playing video games instead of hunting. And we're trying to get more kids involved in every kind of hunting at North Georgia Houndsman Association. And the best way to start kids out is with squirrel dogs or coon hounds. Reason being that my daughter, Alan Lowe's my daughter, she loves to coon hunt. She can't stand to be in a deer stand. It's too boring. And I imagine kids that start out deer hunting, if they don't have any luck and sit in the same place, they get bored easily. But you take one coon hunting where them dogs are barking, they're walking from tree to tree, same thing with the squirrels. It gets them really interested in being out there in and the outdoors. And they get to pet the dogs. They get to, most kids like dogs, and the dogs are friendly oh, if, that we use. Uh, 
if you have a kid that loves to hunt and loves dogs, bam, there, there you it go. is. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a match made in heaven. You get to do you get to play with the dogs and and go hunting too. That's right. I'm yep. I'm 46. I've killed big deer. I've probably killed more deer than most of the people that are listening on this podcast, being a farmer and 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 over crop deprivation permits. But I I do not care to go deer hunting, and it's just I don't have anything against it. Uh, but what gets my heart pumping is a dog out there getting getting treated with some game. And I know, you know, squirrels don't have that big 14-point rack that's going to go Boone and Crockett or anything. But but I like to hunt squirrels, and, and I prefer to hunt ringtails. Um, and the reason, one reason for that is, as a farmer, I never had time to deer hunt. And the only time I wasn't farming was at night, and I really had a, I had a drive to go be in the outdoors and go hunting. And so coon hunting for me was was about the only option that I had during the time that I had to do it. So that's that's why I do it, and and the more I do it, the more I want to go. Yep. Yep. What other things can are, are we doing to or? Conkey's Outdoors knows that keeping up with the latest in hunting technology can be expensive. That's why they are proud to offer amazing financing options. From 30 days, same as cash, to 0% interest for 6, 9, 12, and even 18 months, depending on your credit score and the amount you spend. If you've been eyeballing that new thermal or want to upgrade to the latest in tracking system technology, go find out more on the web at conkeysoutdoors.com, or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, stop by and visit. They'd love to have you. Conkey's Outdoors. Houndsman helping houndsman. You know about that that we can do to involve more youth in, in hunting in general and, and in hound sports. There's children out there that want to hunt. And because their parents or relatives, other relatives do not, they don't have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, if everybody made an ardent effort to try to take a kid hunting that wants to go and doesn't have anybody to take them, please do. Yep. And I'm, I'm proud to say this, I'm about proud as anything I've ever done in my life, is I have taken 17 kids hunting that got their first deer sitting with me. That's awesome. And it not only turned them on, to wanting to deer hunt more, but like I said, man, oh, John, when are we going coon hunt, Mr. John? And, you know, more of that needs to be done or we're going to lose the sport. We're going to lose the sport. Yeah. So over the years that you've been coon hunting, what, where's your favorite place to turn a dog loose? Just any part of the country. Where? Let me think, because I've hunted about everywhere. That's why I asked the question. Southern Pennsylvania, I used to hunt, my favorite place to go, I used to hunt three farms that bordered the Gettysburg National Battlefield in Adams County, Pennsylvania. And a flat land, relatively flat land, lots of coons, cornfields everywhere, big timber. It was just a nice place to hunt. Now, the only time I've hunted the big coon states like Ohio and Indiana and Illinois are on like autumn oaks casts and stuff. And yeah, that would be enjoyable. 
you know, to hunt up there also. You bet. I haven't gotten to go to the Midwest as much as I'd like because of the because of the career path I've taken. But, but going forward, there's probably going to be a little more of that. You're going to White River, Arkansas. For my first time. There you go. With a dubious cast of characters, I might say. We're going to do a podcast from out there, and it's going to be a hoot. But Yeah, y'all can't miss that one. I know the people involved. <laughs> <laughs> so... But yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to that. I've never been out there. Um, everybody tells me that if you go once, you you'll you'll want to go back. It is now. That's one place I worked in my job. We we're doing a wood duck study on White River Refuge, and folks that think they have big bottomland hardwood trees, they need to go out there and look at them ones in Arkansas. Um, White River National Wildlife Refuge bottoms. It's unbelievable how big some of them swamp chestnut oaks are and stuff. I mean, unbelievable. You could build two houses out of one, man. Wow. It's just awesome. If, if back in the day, now again, a lot of people won't remember this, but Joe House was advertising a dog named Houses Cruise, and I can't remember if he was out at Chief or... I remember him. Which one? And he had a picture in the book of the dog tree and on this tree that looked as big as a house. And there's a bunch of them like that in White River National Wildlife Refuge. So I'm so looking forward to it. Um, we were in a cabin out there for several nights. And, and if you want to go, folks, I, from what I saw in my little bit of research before I rented, you need to get your reservations early, and and the accommodations are, are relatively inexpensive. I'm, it, it'll be a trip worth going on, I, I believe, you know. But I can tell you, you can spend a lot more money and have a lot less fun, uh, and especially if you love to coon hunt or even duck hunt, I guess. I don't know. We They tell me we got to be out of the woods by 4 in the morning. Yeah, that's – White River's not – a long way from Stuttgart, which is Arkansas, which is more or less the Mallard capital of the world. Those people are serious about their duck hunting. And yeah. it is, it is the Mecca in the United States for, for good duck hunting. So, and the refuge is open to it. I can't remember it's by permit only or whatever, but. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't know, I'm not a duck hunter. That's the one thing I've yeah. never done, but. Uh, well, let's see, we've talked about the kids, we've talked about the Peach Classic, we've talked about some of your history. Uh, what are some of the things that you've done as far as mentoring some of the youth? I, I've, I've got one in particular that, that's done a, that I'm thinking about has done a, more than you ever thought they would. Uh, but uh, give us a little rundown on, on, on some of the folks that you helped get started. Well, one of them you're going to Arkansas with, Mr. Heath Gilly. I started taking him, me and Mr. Robert Wooten are the only one that could put up with them kids back then. <laughs> but him and uh, Bobby Vanderberg, Scott Wilson, Jason Carey, whole bunch of them folks, you know, used to coon hunt with me when they were young all the time. And they still do. By goodness, they still do. And well, Heath was in my wedding, and 
Jason and his wife asked me and my wife to be his kids' godparents. So I'm, I'd say I'm pretty good friends with those two, and I'm pretty good friends with Bobby too. <laughs> there you go. Yep, they they've turned out to be wonderful people and 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 good, and good hunters, hunters that are still in it. You That's know? right. And you know I have. I'm going to mention some negative stuff. I've taken so many kids coon hunting, pleasure hunting, they love it. Two instances, again, I won't mention any names, but I took kids that had been coon hunting with me that wanted to get into competition hunting with me as a spectator when I was guiding a night hunt cast and the behavior on the cast were so deplorable, they said, Mr. John, we never want to go back to one of these things again. And that's unfortunate. Y'all out there, just remember, if some stuff starts or somebody's not acting in a sportsmanlike manner on a cast, just ask yourself, if your six-year-old daughter was along on the cast, would you want her to hear that crap? If the answer is no, write them up. At the Peace Classic last year, there were two cases where people got wrote up. There were. And could have been more. So, the, yeah. the, the worst thing I hate to hear is some people come in from a cast and complain that, oh, so-and-so acted like a butt. You know, he made the whole hunt bad. Why didn't you write him up? Because if you don't, you're going to do it again. That's right. It's on you. That's right. It's on you. So, yep. we've got plenty of misconduct forms. As you well know, I was the chairman of two misconduct committees last year. And yeah. it's a hard thing to do because sometimes friends are involved, but you do the right thing. So Exactly. Exactly. I was so mad after one of those hearings. I, <laughs> I could have fit nails but, i know but uh but it, and, it, and it didn't involve me i was just a witness <laughs> but uh it, again that's how you lose people in this sport spend the competition end of it is for that stuff to go down that's right and, it, and it's unfortunate we're not out there we're not we're out there to win if you if you don't want to win i don't know why you'd ever enter a dog but like John was describing, you can go out at night and shine a bean field and kill a monster buck, or you can go scout him up and sit in the deer stand and do it right. There's a right, right way and a wrong way to do things, and and you know I don't go out there to fuss and fight. I go out there to enjoy myself, and if I don't, if I can't enjoy myself, then then I'm not going to do it. And so the best way to thwart all of that is is to use the process that the kennel clubs have provided to to put a stop to it and that's just that's just my opinion and like Forrest Gump said and that's all I'll say about that and, and UKC has come a long way I can't speak because I don't hunt in PKC or the other organizations but they've come a long way to try to correct the situation yeah so yeah and you know 99% of the cast that I go on are fun but that 1% those are the ones that stick in your mind Oh, again, as you well know, I I dropped out of UKC hunts. I had some good dogs for about three years. So I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, if you draw something bad happen on a cast tonight, 
and then three months later happens again somewhere else and then you have five in a row oh yeah that, that you go to and it happens i had had enough man i went to them things to have a good time that's right and when you quit having a good time it's time to quit yep so that's right that's right well john i really appreciate you taking your time out to sit down with me i enjoyed lunch thank you for lunch you're very welcome uh we got a got a nice little mexican joint here in town and and uh it's it's some really good food and john and i periodically meet up there i texted him yesterday and said john tyler's after us about getting some more podcasts done i need to do a podcast and he says well anytime i says how about tomorrow he said sure you want to have lunch so here we are and uh john's been a been a really good friend of mine for a lot of years and and uh he's he's got a love and passion for the sport for the hound sports like like few others i've met and he's dedicated his life to the outdoors uh with a career in doing research on 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 wildlife and like he said it made him it's made him a lot of friends and he's 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 a great guy he'll be at uh he'll he'll be in the walker booths at some of these big hunts he'll be at the grand american grand american southeast walker days and you know stop by and say hello uh he'll have you laughing before you go i can promise you that and i always tell him that he's our favorite yankee so <laughs> yeah i've been converted they tell me <laughs> We won't say what he's being converted to. <laughs> yeah. But I sure appreciate you taking the time sitting down with me today, John. You're very welcome. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting U. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.